0: Coindesk is calling on visionaries in the digital economy to present at our newest event, Ideas, investing in digital assets and enterprises summit. Ideas is the place for you to present your marketing opportunity in front of leading investors poised to help you get your idea off the ground. Apply today to become a presenter at Ideas 2022 by Coindesk. Visit coindesk.com forward slash ideas for more information. This episode is sponsored by Circle and Near.
1: Money is changing. So where do we go from here? Through high-profile interviews and thought-provoking analysis, join Michael Casey and Sheila Warren for the Money Reimagined podcast as they explore the connection between finance, human culture, and our increasingly digital lives. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. And now, here's Michael Casey. Hello, and welcome to Money Reimagined. I'm Michael Casey. Well, last week, Jerome Powell played the role of a gloomy Paxitorni Phil. Like the famed groundhog of Paxitorni, Pennsylvania, the US Federal Reserve Chairman made it clear to crypto investors that winter is going to last longer than they might have hoped. The Fed is going to keep hiking interest rates for some time, it seems, to try to contain the inflationary outbreak in the US economy. Which is why financial markets, but notably Bitcoin, Ether, and other prominent crypto tokens have sold off from what had been a more upbeat late summer rally when investors were hopeful that the worst of the Fed's monetary tightening was behind them. So, sorry to say it, folks, but Crypto Winter will be with us for a while. Which brings me, in a roundabout way, to today's topic and to our guest. The question How should a blockchain project with grand ambitions to change the world go about building, or biddling, as the crypto community likes to say? in the midst of this winter. On the one hand, as many have observed, it's actually a good time, away from the distractions of volatile markets and the excessive hype of to-the-moon speculation, for developers to focus on the task at hand. They have time and brain space to dive into the big engineering challenges, write code, and build out protocols and dApps, all in preparation for the inevitable rebound in markets and moods when users come flocking back to this industry. On the other hand, falling markets create a motivation problem. Rising token values have long been a powerful incentive for people to engage with separate protocols and a kind of currency with which foundations that are charged with building those ecosystems can reward developers who contribute code, develop apps, and find bugs. How do these projects pay for all of that when the promise of big returns isn't so easy to convey and when there's literally less money, in fiat terms, in the foundation's coffers? Well, today we'll ask those questions of the NIA Foundation's CEO, Marique Flamont. Having finalized a number of venture capital investment rounds over the past year, even as winter set in, the NIA Foundation is committed to expanding its ecosystem of developers and project leads working on top of the NIA blockchain. It's a proof-of-stake blockchain that has induced a variety of scaling solutions that Ethereum developers have been working on for some time. And amid enthusiasm for that, the foundation is encouraging DeFi development, sustainability solutions, and entertainment projects, all of which will be discussed at its forthcoming NEARCon conference in Lisbon. Before we welcome Marik to discuss all of that and more, let's say hello to my co-host Sheila Warren. Hi, Sheila. Hey, Michael. So we're coming out of summer where you and I have been bouncing back and forth. Some last week you were on your own, other time I was on my own, so it's nice. We've now got a, a clear run, and we will both be in Lisbon for NEAR. So we'll actually be at that time in two weeks' time, bringing. Uh, a live on the spot, one of those rare moments where we get together shows. I'm looking forward yay. to that. Yay. Speaking of yay, not so yay, <laughs> the way boo. that uh, we <laughs> boo, we, we, we were looking like we were coming out and then, damn, that was a, a lot of cold water. Yes, when that, you think uh, you're out. You know. <laughs> they
2: just pull you back in. Yeah. I mean, I lo- look, I don't think this was a surprise to a lot of people. I think there was maybe more hopefulness than pragmatism around the idea that we were truly going to exit this particular period of time. Because again, you know, we are looking at shocks at the global economy on a broad scale, most of which have very little, if anything, to do with the digital economy, but are about a lot of other things, right? So it is certainly the case that we are going to see, I love your Punx Tony Phil, you know, <laughs> the, the tea leaves were red, and we are going to remain in this for a bit longer. But as you also said, all is hardly lost. And look, I mean, you know, my view on this, and we've talked about this on the show before, both of us, I kind of loved 2018. A lot of really amazing things got built. And frankly, a lot of nonsense did not get built. And I am a fan of both of those outcomes. (laughs) So very excited to speak to one of the foremost builders of our time today and and chat about how do you think about this? How do you make sense of this in this context?
1: Right, exactly. I think that's fair to say, like that, certainly from the vision that they're laying out, whether they can get there or not is the big question. But Nia do seem to be very committed to to this Biddle idea. So why don't we bring in Marieke now and we will discuss this. Hi Marieke. Hello. Hey there. Great to have you on. Hi. Thank you so, so much. So look, big conference coming up, which seems to be, if I'm looking at it a lot, that your, your vision is big, your amb- ambition is wide. You know, you guys have been attracting DeFi, you've got an entertainment project, sustainability, all of these things, there's a lot there. Just first of all, lay out what that vision is. How, how do you expect this, this thing to evolve?
3: Yeah, well, so look, at, at NIR, we've always believed in actually changing the world for the better, leveraging blockchain technology, and that uh, proving actually to be possible. Because as you mentioned, NIR is actually, you know, doing a lot of things that other chains have been trying to do. We are first and foremost, actually extremely usable and simple. And we're starting to see actually those possibilities come to life. You've also mentioned, you know, Crypto Winter, we are still in and probably are in for quite some time. And NIR was built in 2018, you know, the period that actually Sheila just mentioned, <laughs> loving back then. But we do see that as actually a great time to build and focus on continuing to evolve the technology and to enable some of the, the vision for the project uh, to come to life.
1: Well, maybe just to just drill down on that. So like. Heard in my monologue at the beginning, right? It seems to me there's a trade-off between two things here. On the one hand, you've got this brain space, as we talked about, right? This moment, this away from the distraction, you can start to focus on building. I think we all like that intuitively as a story, but let's also be clear. I mean, the possibility of incentives, the the gains that come from higher token values, are seen as an integral part of how these decentralized systems get motivated and come together, right? So, how do you trade that off? I mean, how are you guys thinking about the fact that? you know, you don't have quite the same liquidity that you had in your coffers. I mean, I don't know how well you manage your treasury or not. Maybe you can go into that. But either way, there's clearly a trade-off there that you need to work with.
3: Yeah, well, a little bit. But so first, actually, we managed our treasury extremely conservatively, right? So between January and April, we raised something like uh, half a billion dollar in US dollar. And that has been most conservative you cannot, you know, uh, NIERS foundation is a Swiss foundation. And so we work with Swiss banks in, in fiat. So that's as conservative as it gets, which I think is, is proving to be an excellent strategy because as we get actually in this period that is slightly more difficult, managing capital well is becoming absolutely key and paramount. And it's not because actually we're in a crypto winter that, you know, we can just cool things off and take more time and actually just rest. The race is still on, you know, like who are going to be the winners of the future, and who are gonna be the technology that are still being used is still the key question because there's you know hundreds of layer one that are out there. But the way we think uh, through that is actually, it's time to focus, to continue to develop the vision that we have. Actually, as you mentioned also, a lot of the noise is finally out, which means like brain space, rather than having to make those decisions that sometimes feel like counterintuitive because they probably are not good decisions. Well, now we are in a time and a space where we can, you know we know we have the capital, we know we have the talent and it's just about continuously making the right decisions and, and building.
2: So certainly, you know, I think the articulation of core philosophy and values becomes a critical differentiator in crypto winter in a way that it isn't really at a time when, you know, every token is rising and the incentives to your point are different. So, so first of all, do you find that the way you communicate about philosophy and values of NIR and the protocol have differed? Have you shifted that consciously and also, just you know, would love to hear more from you about what the philosophy and values there are.
3: Well, I would say we've never really been you know hype and hypey. So I think in that sense, things haven't changed for us. We are, however, taking that time to think through how do we even better articulate what near is about. Uh, because you know, it's, sometimes it's very complicated when you know what is near, right? And you can go into like it's a layer one protocol, proof of stake, yada yada. And before you know it, you're like it's taking you ten minutes to actually explain. What do you do? And so we are actually, you know, thinking that through and rethinking our our vision is still the same, right? How can we get billions of users to actually use the technology without necessarily having to know that they're on here, but like having billions of users who are using the technology? And then how do we articulate that in the crisper way possible? It's actually an exercise that it's now a good time to to do and, and to take the time to do that. So, you know, this ability and and we actually almost because we are less cluttered, we've been able to say, What are we unique about? Oh, we are the simplest, most usable blockchain out there. And believe it or not, but sometimes when you're in the midst of things and like there's so much noise around you, just like taking the time to say and to articulate that is not often always possible. So, you know, I would say to your question, there was a lot of hype. We've never been like necessarily, you know, very good at that. But actually our mission vision doesn't change. But just the way we can pause and think through how do we articulate that in a crisper manner, that's definitely something we are taking the time to do
1: maybe look more deeply as well into you know, this vision. You say you're not hypey, you've got all these big things that you, that you want to do. What do you think is the core story here? I mean, there's a lot about, you talk about data ownership and so forth. What really makes you different? I mean, it seems to me quite often, at least in the minds of people who are investing in these tokens, but also talking about them, you know, they can interchange Avalanche for, you know, for Nier, for uh, you know, Cardano, for whatever. What do you, what do you take away from that to say, no, this is why Near is really quite different.
3: Yeah, well, so one thing, actually, usability. I think when you look at what does usability mean for end users, the real angle is to say that you don't need to know what blockchain is to actually interface with it. And so very concretely for Near, uh, you can have de facto account names that are human readable and you can actually interact with those account names in a way that is much more attuned to what Web2 looks like, right? And what that means also concretely is that for any large Web2 company who wants to come on and integrate that for their users, they can also translate and have a user experience, which is going to be super seamless. Concretely, for example, uh, we've been working with uh, Sweatcoin, and, and Sweat is an app whereby you walk, you get Sweat tokens, and very soon there's going to be you know an announcement of TGE and, and things coming up. But the idea is to say, how can you have one of the largest crypto onboarding which is something that looks so much like a Web2 experience. On the developer front and side of things, we've always been very good for having great developer tools for anyone wanting to build on on near. And that goes through actually so natively Rust, but also the fact that we have uh, Aurora, which is our EVM. So if you actually are more attuned to building on Ethereum, you can actually also transport that and have that directly uh, coming up to near. And not only that, but recently, we've actually launched our JavaScript SDK. And and if you think of the pool of developer that's out there, you know, it's 200,000, something like that for Rust and Solidity, but it's millions of developers who are there for, for JavaScript. So, you know, this idea of like simplicity and usability is really the thing that enable actually to get to mass adoption.
4: Join us for Converge 22, Circle's first annual conference on the blockchain-driven future of money, coming this September to San Francisco. Converge 22 is a gathering for what's next in Web3, featuring demos and developer workshops, plus guest speakers like our very own Money Reimagined co-host Sheila Warren, Aves Stanikulikov, Compound's Robert Leshner, and Solana's Anatoly Yakovenko. Money Reimagined listeners get a special discount with the code COINDESK. Register today at Converge.Circle.com. Near is a revolutionary yet simple Web3 platform for building decentralized apps. Designed by developers for developers, over 700 projects are now building on Near's fast, secure, and scalable protocol. Whether you're a crypto native launching DeFi apps, NFT marketplaces, and play-to-earn games, or looking to migrate your project from Web2, Near makes it easy to build Web3 for the masses. Near offers developers a variety of tools, resources, and support for building apps, empowering communities, and creating a more fair, inclusive, and equitable future. Start your Web3 developer journey now by visiting Near at near.org That's N-E-A-R dot
2: And so a lot of our our listeners are quite lay people who come to us to kind of get a sense of like, what is all of this and still making sense of, of crypto and blockchain. And so so I think you make a really important point that is not entirely clear to everybody, especially those who are kind of thinking about this from a retail investment standpoint, which is that the usability of the protocol, the developers are the audience. The usability of this is what gives it legs, what gives it traction, what makes it valuable. But how do you connect that? Because of course there are others who are not developers and don't ever engage with that aspect of any protocol. They only think about the token. So how do you see those two things as connected? Like how does the developer usage and adoption
3: tie into token value from your perspective? Well, I think it's actually, it's a flywheel and it's almost like that's actually the complexity of crypto ecosystems, right? It's It's a lot of different audiences. So one of your core audience obviously is developers because without developer, no one is actually gonna build anything on your chain. And therefore, What's the real intrinsic value that you're creating, right? So developer is a key audience that actually needs to be addressed. A second audience is actually project builders, which is not just developers, right? Because actually to get a project go to market, you need not only developers, but also people who are thinking through what's the marketing, what are the legal implications, what are the tokenomics and so on and so forth. So thinking through actually project owners is another part of the audience. You've mentioned token holders, right? So you might have people who actually are just interested in actually The value of what you know what the token could be giving out but you know is that really where the intrinsic value is i'm I'm not sure right so it's thinking through all those different audiences and how they link together and create a flywheel that ultimately create the real intrinsic value i think then you can justify you know prices of tokens going up and things like that but you need to have a real flywheel for creating real use cases and, and having that usage basically
1: that, that, I must say, that's kind of music to my ears. I've been sort of my columns have been trying to focus a little bit on like how do we get to real value and, and like think about the rise in prices as a secondary outcome of that rather than it being the end in, unto itself. So I'm glad to hear it, but let's just shift gears a little bit here. Maybe we can get back a little bit later on to some of where that usability is being applied. I want to talk to a, a hot topic at the moment, this, the tornado cash situation. And you guys responded to this so for those who haven't been following, if you're not deeply in the crypto world, the US Treasury via OFAC, its Office of Foreign Asset Controls, put on its special designated nationals list, that is a, a list of sanctioned individuals and entities that, that Americans cannot trade with or transact with. They put Tornado Cash, which is not a person or a company, it's, it's a piece of software, it's a, it's a smart contract uh, system that was used to bring privacy to Ethereum transactions. And this has caused all sorts of implications, both in terms of some legal arguments about the constitutionality of this. You know, some people think of code as speech, but also just the ramifications for various entities across that, the Ethereum network having to actually do things they don't want to do and sort of block out transactions. And people are even worried about censorship of the entire blockchain. So, anyway, I'm just giving that as a background for people who don't know it. What is your take on this? Because it really does go to the heart of much of what decentralization of blockchains is supposed to be about. We're supposed to have this uncensorable, uh, proven record, and privacy is a key part of that. So where does NEAR come down on, on balancing that with the very real concerns that regulators had? In this particular case, they were worried about North Korean hackers using that service to move money around. Where is the balance in that?
3: Well, and I think it's exactly what you say. It's, it's a balance. And so the premise, look, is actually I think we're all working to create, you know, a place that is safe and is a better world. And so within that, if you take that at heart, actually, it means protecting end consumers and protecting actually, you know, people who are using the network. And I think that's where, you know, the ethos, I think, of what a lot of people are trying to do in Web3 is really to do that. Now, what are the technical solutions that enable to actually get to that point? That's something that still needs to be worked through, right? So you mentioned, for example, privacy and how do we actually how can we create a world where it's still possible to have privacy, but where it's also possible to actually have, you know, places where certain transactions are not possible, right? And so that comes into actually how do we think of zero knowledge proof and how do we think actually of working hand in hand also with regulators to have this dialogue and to say, we hear you. Because I think sometimes it feels that the dialogue is is in part broken because it feels that it's actually seen as if the industry doesn't want to, you know, help or the industry is not taking seriously what's happening? Absolutely not, right? We are taking that very seriously. But the point is, what are the technical solutions that help still get us on that fine balance, which is, you know, the right between decentralization and, and full centralization. So it's a very hairy problem. I can tell you, you know, we we debated a lot also internally, which I think is very healthy. And the two concrete actions that we are taking is one, well, what are the technological development that we can make that will help not only Lear, but also the entire industry? And number two, what are the regulatory institutions and groups that we can engage with to actually be even more prominent within that and have that constructive dialogue? There is no consensus in the the industry,
2: in the community. And I think that is an ongoing challenge. There's not, you know, where the priority should lie. Should we be always prioritizing 100% to the exclusion of everything else uh, censorship resistance? Should we be prioritizing exclusive of everything else, safety and security? You know, And I don't mean to be extreme about it because I agree with you. And I think most people do agree that there's some balance, but where that balance should lie and what the actions that any particular actor should take, recognizing that in our ecosystem, actors themselves are not monolithic. And exchange is a very, very different entity from a layer one protocol, from uh, you know an NFT platform. Like all of these are very different things. And I do think we're getting to a time, and I think I kind of want to shift this a little bit to talk about this, where we are having to recognize that as we mature as an industry, as we mature as an ecosystem, there are certain ways of doing business. Let's call it. There are certain um, you know expectations that come from regulatory bodies and other agencies that start to attach, and we are no longer in any meaningful way under the radar, the proverbial radar of any of this activity. And so you've spoken a little bit about maturity of the industry, you know, in other in other places, and I'm, I'm curious how you see those two things tying together. Do you think that there was a bit more of the Wild West accusation thrown at crypto on a regular basis and now we see that evolution? Do you see that evolution? First of all, do you think that's correct? Do you think we do have more responsibility now or do you see this as always having been the case and now we're just kind of being called and held accountable for the responsibility?
3: Well, no, I, I think definitely we have more responsibility also because the industry has grown, right? And so if the industry grows, it means more and more people are basically touching or participating in that industry. And so with that actually comes uh, increased, increased responsibility. I think, you know, one thing also that I've seen since I've been, you know, in crypto is there is definitely also knowledge has increased on the regulatory side of things, which is great, right? Because, you know, a couple of years back when you were having conversations with regulators, there was a learning curve that needed to actually be there. And I think today it's fair to say that, you know, there is so much, you know, knowledge that is already on the regulatory side and, and on governments, which is great to see because the basis of conversation is, is already much higher. On, you know, the maturing of the industry, another thing that we're seeing is the, the type of talent that is actually coming into the Web3 space. Um, and for example, one of my expectations when, you know, crypto, the last crypto winter, which was by the way in summer, but the last crypto winter starting happening one of my expectations was that we were going to lose talent and that actually the attraction of, you know, traditional Web2 talent that we were seeing come through was going to stop. And that's fascinating because if anything, that's not the case. And so what we've seen actually happen is that we continuously see an increase of super strong talent, which is coming in, which is actually also helping, you know, give more, you know, gravitas and, and thinking through what needs to happen to continuously grow that industry. That gives me a lot of hope because I think that's also, you know, at some point, yes, you do need to have a bit more process. And yes, you do need to think through the consequences of what you do. And it's good to see that, right, to see that talent coming through to have those type of dialogues.
1: Talent coming in tend to embody a slightly more, I don't know how to use the word conservative, but like maybe a more compliant sort of mindset, right? I mean, part of the early ethos of crypto was precisely rebellion, right? It was literally, I'm going to create a system that can free me from the responsibility to respond to a central party like a regulator. And, and clearly, as Sheila was suggesting, we just can't live in that world anymore. It's clear that these regulatory agencies have significant influence on us. So that being the case, these new Web2 guys, do they sort of, I suppose, diminish that ethos a bit? Because you still need a bit of that wild west rebellion right it's almost integral to how everything thrives what are these newcomers doing to the mindset within the developer community
3: well so i think one thing that's not changing you need to believe in the you need to believe in the vision in the possibility of what web3 will do and when i look at the world you know around us there is a climate crisis there is a war on the european continent there is actually fundamental you know freedom rights that are being attacked every day and if you think of actually What could new technology do to actually help us maybe change that or shift that? Web3 can actually play a very big role and big part in that. So I would say, you know, the Web2 talent that comes into Web3, believing in that in that sense of what is this new technology enabling us to do to actually help move things forward uh, in, in a very positive way, I think is still absolutely there. I would say one thing is what we see very often is you need a certain mindset, I think, to be in Web3, because the reality is that All of us are trying to figure things out every day. And so you need this mindset of, you know, I know what I don't know, and I'm going to actually learn and try to figure that out. And so it's possible to find, you know, people who are really hungry and who will have that, you know, humility to say, I'm not an expert. I need to figure it out and let me actually come with what I know, but also help actually learn what what I don't know about. So I think that's, you know, the type of things that we are seeing uh, very successfully, which for me, it's again, it's the perfect blend because you still believe in the, you know, in the mission, the vision, the ethos, but in a way that actually is extremely positive. You know, I like to think that this is also giving us an opportunity,
2: the innovation in Web3, to have constructive dialogue with regulators and say, is this regulatory model serving the most people, right? These were set up under, these regulations were set up under very different times and very different assumptions. And to what extent, you know, without saying that the public policy, I think we have to acknowledge the public policy goals of a lot of these regulators are legitimate public policy goals that are in many cases in place to help all of us, like to your point, the prevention of terrorists getting, you know, financing to buy weapons and things like this, right? But is there a way of getting there that is better fit for the web three environment that we are very, very rapidly becoming the digital reality for most people, right? Particularly in the United States. And so that's just coming upon us. And I do think the maturity of the industry has allowed us to broach those discussions and to say, how do we recast the goal is it the right still the right goal is that is that you know in some cases it's very clearly in some cases maybe not so much and how do we think about the connection between these new opportunities and what they bring because i think it's important to also make put too fine a point on it perhaps but the challenges that regulation of web3 brings also mean there are opportunities to achieve public policy goals using and leveraging web3 technologies themselves that can be a better way or a better path so to that end, I suppose, one of the goals, I think that many, certainly Michael and I, and I know you agree on it, you mentioned is how do we address the climate crisis that, you know, we, that is not getting better. And I'd love to hear from you, you know, how do you think about that uh, as the CEO of the Near Foundation? How do you think about the responsibility or role, both, I suppose, of an L1 protocol in, in that
3: environment? That's a really great question. So look, Near very early on, actually had uh, the vision for saying, what does it mean to be proof of stake? And actually technologically, what does it enable us to do in terms of carbon footprint? And so since the very early days, we've actually been fully audited by an organization called uh, South Pole, which is here in Switzerland, in Zurich. And that enables us actually to audit through what's our carbon footprint, not only just of the technology, but also actually of, you know, all the community members and, and the people that are building. And so this idea of saying, what does it mean to be truly you know, a climate neutral, at least climate neutral chain to enable positive change on that? What we've seen is that the fact of taking that very seriously, being audited, working on it, having that at the core and the heart of how we think about the development of the protocol and the ecosystem has enabled us to attract projects who want to be built on a chain that actually is at the core and at the heart thinking of what does it mean to be climate sustainable? And so with that, for example, you know, that's, that's how, um, we have a project called open forest protocol, uh, which has been launched on, on near. And the, uh, utility of that is actually to say through reforestation, how can you actually create carbon credit and have that really truly monitor and locked on a blockchain? So we have projects like that, but also things such as, for example, cell GP, which is a sailing sports competition. People might be thinking like what has sailing to do with climate, but actually it's a sports competition that's trying to reinvent what is it to do a sports competition in today's world being climate neutral. And, and Cell GP was looking for the perfect blockchain to actually partner and to think through what can we do with technologies to actually enable that. So, you know, things like that we see every day, it goes from super small projects to larger projects. But I think at the core and the heart, it's also thinking through how can you be today building technology, but also behaviors in people. That means that it's actually uh, climate sustainable.
1: Another area that I know you focused on, Marieke, and that it's sort of been, I think, connected with NIR for some time is the entertainment world, the idea of the creators. Um, And clearly, as we, you know, this is just a core element of what we mean by Web3. And it is another one of these major uh, issues facing the world. We're talking about, you know, the problem of centralized data and the impact of very, very powerful protocols and all the problems that we face as a society in terms of information control and, and, you know, the manipulation, essentially, of, of human behavior that has come through that. In a nutshell, with only a little bit of time left, you know, where do you see the vision for, for NIR and for other blockchains, for that matter, in bringing us to a world where people do have greater control over their data and where creators are able to engage with their audience and all of those wonderful utopian visions that some of us have for this?
3: Well, I think it's starting to be, to be extremely real, right? And so, for example, take again the world of sports. Why wouldn't, uh, you know, a community of fans truly own a, a team? That's today's very possible and it's very tangible. So this idea that you can completely reinvent fandom, and that's why very often, you know, NFT are, are thought about as being just like, you know, a gift that is, you know, attached to, to a blockchain. It's much more than that. It's actually participation into a community and it gives you certain rights. And so if you think of what does it mean to be a fan in today's world, where actually you can, you know, you can boost that by a hundred and be a fan in a, in a blockchain world and truly actually own a part of a team or make decisions for that team and have more influence over the future of what you want to see there. So entertainment is also one thing where as a vertical, I thought when, you know, crypto winter started happening, I thought, okay, maybe we're going to start seeing people leaving that vertical and thinking, well, you know, this has been just a glitch and actually, you know, those big brand names who were thinking of getting into Web three we're going to back out. Absolutely not, right? They are going even more in full force. And and again, through that time of really having the time to build, the propositions that we're starting to see for reinventing fandom and what it means to be a fan are really interesting and very spectacular. So I think in the entertainment world, we are starting to scratch the surface, but we're starting to really see like the true use cases of what it means to as a, you know, as a musician, as an artist, as a sports person, like you can reinvent what it means to engage with your fans in a way that actually cuts a lot of the middleman and therefore makes you a true owner of your brand, because that, that's what you are. If you're a sports celebrity, you're, you're a brand and you can re-engage in that and think that through completely differently.
2: I think what I what I love about this and what you're saying is you know you you mentioned incentives and how we think about incentives and a technology layer that basically is recognizing empowerment and agency both of in this case the creator but also of the fan and creating this authentic or recognizing the authentic dynamic that has always wanted to exist between those two parties and giving that life right and creating new incentives in the engagement which I think is really powerful and so you know I see all of this as fundamentally it's two things. It's recognizing the way relationships actually work, like real human relationships actually work and how they've been limited by Web2 technology in very real ways, right? The intermediary there has really interrupted in many ways, I would say, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, interrupted the what would be a much more natural relationship. And that, that holds beyond even creators and fandom and athletes and all that. It holds in, in ordinary human relationships as well. And the, the whole concept of peer-to-peer, the reason it is so intrinsically you know, intuitively powerful is because people want, to, they think of relationships in that way. You don't imagine when you go see your friend for lunch, you know, that there's like this intermediate, this, there's this other party that's kind of like affecting what you can say or what you know about them. It, that just doesn't happen in the real world. It's a good analogy, right. Exactly right. You know, imagine, right? We we want to have a purity, I guess is the word I'm looking for, of those relationships. And so, but in, in broader than that, I think we are reimagining not just money to the point of our show, but also how we interact as a society. And so I'm curious to think about this at the community level beyond kind of fandom, which is a community, but how you think about community engagement within these models and what Web3 is unlocking for community engagement as well.
3: Yeah. And I think that's a fascinating question, right? I think the to me, community engagement and how we can actually participate and engage is really the next big thing to be cracked. And I'll give you, you know, for example, a very concrete example, but Today, you can actually participate in a DAO, so Decentralized Autonomous Organization, which is basically a group of people who share, you know, they share the same passion that you have and you can engage with these people on a topic that you're passionate about. So for example, you know, there's been topics that go from anything around, it could be abortion rights and people actually not agreeing with that. It could actually be wanting to raise funds, for example, for Ukraine, or it could actually be, well, we'd love, you know, to help and be more like creative organization and start creating like, you know, great digital assets that we're going to sell. Or it could be something like we want to put our money together and invest in things that we like together. So DAOs to me are so powerful for exactly the the type of, you know, smaller group, smaller community that you're talking about, for people engaging together on much more like peer-to-peer organization and starting to say together, we can do something. It doesn't come, you know, without complication because as soon as you have, you know, a group of people and everybody wanting to participate, like how do you actually manage that and how do you actually self-organize? But I think that's one of the beauty of the things that we're seeing. And to to a point you made also earlier, I think a lot of the conversation pre-last crypto winter was very much DeFi. And I think there's been a lot of the dialogue in particular with regulators that's been very focused on DeFi. But when you start thinking of what can you reimagine in actually society and voting, voting for, you know, a community, voting together because you care about your club and you want to actually say, I want a part of ownership in the sports club that I have down my street and I want to be able to participate in that. I think that's the real shift that we're starting to see. And I think that's where the dialogue needs to move, which is all this reimagination of much more peer to peer community interaction, basically.
1: Rick, what I love, I love talking that. to you about is your versatility you seem to be able to range across any topic and sort of bring it home in a really <laughs> neat uh, neat little bundle it's, it's it's fascinating it's you know we, we've covered a lot of ground here across all of these areas and it's it's great to see that versatility and you know good luck with the project if Nia can manage to be all things to all people like that it's a tremendous it's a tremendous achievement really looking forward to catching up with you in person again in in Lisbon in a couple of weeks I know Sheila is as well. Uh, Where we'll be doing the show from there. So, but before then, we have one more show uh, next week. Please join us again for that. Thank you, Marie, for joining us. Thank you, Sheila, for being on the show again, and everybody else. As I said, keep uh, keep listening, keep tuning in. It's all we have time for for now. Bye bye.
0: You've been listening to Money Reimagined. Today's show featured Sheila Warren, Michael J. Casey, and guest Marique Flamont. This episode has been produced and edited by Michelle Mousseau with announcements by Adam B. Levine. Our executive producer is Jared Swartz. Our theme song is by Shepard. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, Money Reimagined, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And from all of us at Coindesk and the Money Reimagined team, thanks for listening.